0: The Lord be with you. Jesus said, do you think I have come to bring peace to the earth? No, I tell you, but rather division. I don't know about you, but I got really excited when I heard that text. I was like, wow, you know, I've been putting a lot of energy recently into biting my tongue. Cause there's a lot of people out there with really terrible opinions around politics and religion and even movies. And I'm thinking, I have to be a good Christian, right? I have to be polite and I keep the unity, hold us all together. But now Jesus is saying, no, it's division time. And we hear from the book of Hebrews, right? We hear about these stories from the Old Testament where it's like Moses crossing the Red Sea and the, uh, the Egyptians are coming behind him. They're like, boom, we'll just drown them all in the Red Sea. And then we hear about Joshua smashing the walls of Jericho. And we hear about the judges, Gideon, Barak, Samson, and there cracking Philistine skulls. And I think, yes, this is what I've been waiting for, a chance to let loose, like Jesus says, bringing down fire on the earth. And so I think to myself, okay, who am I going to weed out of my garden, right? I think to myself, okay, first of all, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to divide out of my life all the non-believers, yeah, yeah. And then, of course, all the people who uh, believe not in Jesus, but in other gods. And then all the people who believe in Jesus, but in the wrong way. There's a lot of those. Yeah, I'm take those guys out. And, of course, everyone in the wrong political party can take those guys out. And everyone who handled COVID differently than I did, yeah, I'll take those guys out. All my friends who owe me money, yep. All my friends whom I owe money, yeah, I'll take those guys out, too. And then I realized, you know, I, it's basically now just me and my wife. But the other night, my wife wanted to spend the evening watching on Netflix the show about Indian matchmaking. I'm like, that's not happening. Nope. <laughs> and at last, I was like, finally, there's no one who's wrong in my life anymore. And I go, wait a minute, that means it's just me. But, well, this must be how, how Jesus wants it, right? When he's like, we're going to divide all those other people out. Just get it down to the one person who's who's right, which is him. That's why he says he wants to bring fire. Yeah, that's why he says he's yearning for this baptism. And then I think to myself, wait a minute. When, when Jesus says he wants to be baptized, he's already been dunked into the waters of the River Jordan. That happened many chapters ago. There's only one baptism Jesus has left waiting for him. And that's the baptism of his death. Why would the one guy who's got it all right want to be killed by all the people who are wrong? And then I realized, you know, the book of Hebrews tells us that Jesus isn't alone in this, right? The first part of Hebrews does have the stories of people like Moses and Joshua and the judges and the kings who are going around and they have enemies, people who oppose them and they defeat them and crush them and destroy them. But then something happens in verse 35 of Hebrews 11 where the tone shifts and it talks about women receiving their dead by faith and then it starts talking about people who are tortured. Right? These are heroes of faith. These are the people we're supposed to be looking to for inspiration. It says they're tortured, it says they're imprisoned, it says they're mocked, and it says they're flogged. It says some of them are stoned to death, some of them are sawn in two and put to death by the sword. And I think to myself, whoa, I don't want that either. And are these our only two options to submit everything that's wrong in this world or to destroy all the people who are wrong in this world or are we like the hebrew people trying to get to the promised land and and we come to this body of water in front of us and on one side is the water and on the other side are pharaoh's chariots trying to draw us back into slavery and we say well we've only got a choice between submitting and being taken back into slavery or crossing the Red Sea ourselves and letting those waters drown all those people who used to share our country with us. Destruction or submission, are those our only choices? But the last verse in Hebrews 11 said, But God has prepared something better, so that they would not, apart from us, be made perfect. God has something better than those two choices, but that something better exists so that we are not made perfect alone, but together. Last week, I talked about how Jesus encouraged us to to seek that heavenly treasure, and I said, what is that heavenly treasure, right? It's not gold, it's not silver, it's not diamonds. That heavenly treasure is people. Because here's the thing, if we get into heaven and it's only people who agree with us, it's going to be very lonely there. You know what heaven without other people is? It's eternity in solitary confinement. And that's true for us, and it's true for God. Which is why God has something better prepared, and that's something better is the transformative power of the witness to Christ's love. That is the something better. Now, let me tell you, this is no easy thing. But the fire that Jesus talks about sending upon this earth, we want to think, oh, you know, that must be like fire and brimstone that Jesus is sending down to destroy people. But when Jesus' disciples ask him, Hey, these Samaritans didn't accept us. Can we call down fire on them? Jesus says, no. The fire that Jesus calls down in the scripture, Jesus calls down on his own disciples. He calls it down on the day of Pentecost. 50 days after the resurrection, Jesus calls down the Holy Spirit and appears like fire, like tongues of fire that fall upon the disciples, not to destroy them, but to transform them. You see, the disciples, they were scared provincial fishermen from Galilee, but with the fire of the Holy Spirit, they are transformed to disciples who can proclaim the message of Christ into any language in the world. The fire of the Holy Spirit gives the disciples to share Jesus' message across every cultural and linguistic divide. But even though that message can be shared across any cultural divide, let me be clear, the message of Jesus does divide. Because when the status quo is judgment, mercy is divisive. Jesus Jesus, will hear next week, he heals a woman on the Sabbath, and he is called divisive for doing so by fundamentalists who prioritize their interpretation of scripture over human well-being. But Jesus heals the woman on the Sabbath anyway. And then you know what Jesus does? Jesus goes and he has dinner with those fundamentalists. And then we hear that When the status quo is exclusion, inclusion is divisive. Jesus, he welcomes sinners into his community, and for doing so, he is called divisive by pious religious people who insist on keeping their community pure. But Jesus welcomes those sinners into his community anyway, and then Jesus goes and he worships alongside those religious folks. When the status quo is injustice, justice is divisive. Jesus proclaims that God is king of heaven and earth, and for doing so, he is called divisive by the people who give their loyalty to Caesar in Rome. But Jesus proclaims the kingdom of God anyway. And then Jesus goes, and he heals the servant of a Roman centurion, To say transformation, whether for an individual or a community, it always requires attention, right? It requires a breaking of what is to allow what is to be. And that means within the context of a community, there will be division, right? A seed doesn't become a plant unless it is split open. An egg doesn't give birth to a chick unless it cracks, and so too, a community cannot go from what was to what is without feeling that tension of division. But that division doesn't need to be for destruction, it can be for transformation. Jesus is unwilling to compromise on his message of love, but that message of love includes the people who oppose him. Because without them, the body of Christ cannot be perfect. In Hebrews 12:1, it says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and sin that clings so closely and let us run with perseverance the race that is set before us. Bless you. I want to talk for a moment about That idea of a cloud of witnesses, of cloud of witnesses. So uh, the book of Hebrews, very confusingly, is written in Greek. I don't make the rules. That's just how it is. So the book of Hebrews is written in Greek. Here's a fun fact. You know Greek. I don't know if you realize this, but when it says cloud of witnesses, you know the Greek word there that is translated as witness because the Greek word for witness is martyr. Martyr. It's just literally the Greek word for witness. But maybe that's not how we think of it today, because you see, a martyr is not someone who revels in suffering. A martyr is not the winner of the oppression Olympics. A martyr is someone who has unwavering witness to Christ's love. And what we see is that starting with Jesus, the generations that follow him witness unwaveringly to Jesus' love in the first three centuries of Christianity. Christians say, you know what, we're not going to call Caesar Lord because Jesus alone is Lord, and they're called divisive by Caesar, who doesn't like this at all. And Caesar says, here's the deal, either you offer sacrifices to me as a god or I will offer you as sacrifices in my games. And so the Christians go to their death because they refuse to give up their witness to Jesus. But as they go to their death, they do so singing hymns of joy. They do so praying for the very crowds who are watching them die for entertainment. The witness of the love that they carry within them means that within three centuries, those games are abolished. And people from Egypt to England will proclaim the name of Jesus. 1200 years later, the reformers, right, the, the, the first Lutherans for whom we take our name, they gave a witness to Jesus's unconditional love and grace, and the Catholic Holy Roman Emperor said, you're being very divisive. This sounds like rebellion. You better give up your faith or you might die. And those Lutheran reformers said, we can't give up our faith. But we are loyal subjects. We are all part of this country we share together. And so the reformers said to the Holy Roman Emperor, look, we can't give up our faith. If you need to take something from us, take our head. They knelt and offered their head in submission. And the Holy Roman Emperor said, you can keep your head and your faith if it means that much to you. And that was the first step towards a century-long journey of religious freedom, the freedom to worship that we celebrate this day. And here in this country, not so long ago, the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King, he marched. He marched so that people of color could be treated as equal siblings in Christ with everyone else. And when he did so, he was called divisive. He was called divisive not just by bigots, but by white, moderate clergy, folks like me. He writes from a, in a letter from the Birmingham Jail. He writes to those moderate white clergy like me, and he says, look, I'm, I'm really disappointed to hear that you're upset that we are marching for justice, but you're not upset about the injustice that causes us to march in the first place. And then he says to those clergy, look, I'm caught between two forces. On the one hand, there are the do-nothings in the African-American community who have just given up, who, who have said, let's just submit to this segregation. And on the other hand, he says, There's the black nationalists who are so angry, who are so despairing, who are filled with so much resentment that if we follow their way, it will lead to bloodshed in the streets. He says, Praise be to God, there is a better way. A better way of living out the testimony of Christ's love through direct, nonviolent action. Martin Luther King understands that his struggle for freedom must include the liberation of those white moderate clergy because we as a country cannot be made perfect only in part. We can only be made perfect together. But let me be clear, this is no easy thing. The ability to love the people who are set against us is beyond human capacity and so Hebrews twelve two says, let us look to Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith, who with joy endured the cross. Jesus endures the cross out of joy. And Jesus' joy is us, of knowing that with that proclamation of love for all people, even the people who nail his feet and legs to the wood, Jesus would set off a cascade of love that would pass down to his disciples and be transmitted through the centuries, generation after generation, facing conflict and struggle and division, but generation after generation, having received that love from Jesus, having received it, having the strength now to be able to say, no, we will not submit to injustice. We will not submit to... Uh, to judgment. We will not submit to exclusion, but neither will we destroy the people who call for those things. Instead, we will find a better way, a way that God has given us. We will witness to the transforming power of Christ's love. That love has been passed down to the generations. It has been passed down to us this day so that we could be here, sharing this good news so that when we leave this place and we have conflict with our family or with our friends we might know that there is a better way so that in this moment in our country where the drumbeats of division where the drumbeats of exclusion and judgment are ringing louder than ever we might have a choice And the strength to make it to say we will not submit to those drumbeats. And we will not beat our own drumbeats of exclusion and judgment even louder. We will go for God's better way. The way of testifying and giving witness to the transformative power of love. So that when generations look back to this moment in time. They will say our ancestors are part of that great cloud of witnesses who when they sought the promised land and they came to that water that stood between them and people's liberation, they chose neither to submit to Pharaoh's chariots coming after them nor to cross through those waters and let half their country be drowned. Instead, when they stood before those waters, they blessed those waters. They made those waters into waters of baptism. And each and every one of them walked together into those waters knowing that Those waters were dangerous, that they might slip and fall and be carried under, but they did so with faith because they knew that Jesus had gone ahead into those waters of baptism, that Jesus gladly drowned so that each of us who are pulled into those waters of division might be united with him, might be drawn forth as one people, united in his love. Amen.